Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. I I recognize that there are many, many, many of you in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And so I know that you were looking forward to fall football. Everybody was looking forward to fall football. So let me just uh, go ahead and weep with those who are weeping today that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have postponed all fall sports. Not just football, but cross-country, volleyball, soccer, field hockey, Uh, For those of you listening in the South, the ACC and the SEC have both said uh, that they're not altering their plans to play this fall. Uh, We'll we'll see. We'll see, right? The Big 12 also reportedly still targeting a fall football season. But again, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, The other big news, I know some of you saying that is not the biggest news of the day. The biggest news of the day is that... Democratic candidate for the office of the president of the United States, Joe Biden, has announced uh, his running mate, and that is California Senator Kamala Harris. So three things that I want to quickly cover about uh, about Kamala Harris. And then um, I might have to wait till the bottom of the hour to actually sort of make my commentary about choosing a running mate, because I do want for us as Christians to think about really ardently consider what it means to choose a running mate in life. Um, what does it mean to run the race that is set before us uh, in such a way that uh, other Christians not only run with us, but we run with those who are stronger in the faith than us, um, and we encourage others along the way as well. So your running mate is something I'm going to encourage you to think about today. Romans 12.1, Galatians 5.7, Isaiah 40.31. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to raise all of those passages of Scripture, but quickly three things to cover about Kamala Harris um, she's certainly competent. She's certainly accomplished, 55 years old. Uh, she made her own run for the Democratic nomination. Much is being made in the media about the fact that she is female uh, and that she is black uh, and that, well, frankly, that she has a mom um, who is from India. So she's also South Asian, technically. But from a Christian worldview, those are actually not particularly relevant attributes. I think that the, the question that I, as a Christian, am always asking about a candidate is what is their worldview? What is the worldview out of which they are operating? Because their worldview, uh, particularly their religious worldview, is going to determine how they make decisions. Uh, I mean, that is the way that it works. So what is Kamala Harris's worldview in terms of her religious faith? Well, she was raised um, in a combination of Hinduism and Christianity. Her mom is from Chennai, China, uh, India. Sorry. Uh, Her dad, Donald Harris, from Jamaica. They met when they were graduate students at the University of California, Berkeley. Now, the person who um, who I really want to celebrate and laud in uh, in this narrative is a woman named Regina Shelton. Regina Shelton was the uh, downstairs neighbor uh, when Kamala Harris's parents were divorced when she was seven years old. 
Uh, she lived part-time in Oakland, and then she lived part-time in Berkeley, you know, so back and forth between two households. Many of us know what that looks like. There was a downstairs neighbor whose name was Regina Shelton. Regina Shelton took Kamala Harris and her sister Maya to Oakland's 23rd Avenue Church of God every Sunday that uh, that, that child spent, spent the night in that particular home on a Saturday night. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Kamala Harris considers herself a black Baptist. You can scrutinize that all you want, but that is how she self-identifies. And I want to highlight the power. I want to highlight the power of a neighbor today. I want to highlight the lived testimony and witness of a woman named Regina Shelton, who did not allow two little girls whose parents had gone through a divorce, did not allow those two little girls to languish and and not find their way to church on a Sunday morning, but instead took it upon herself to be a good neighbor and took those girls to church. So um, that's an encouragement to each and every one of us to have our eyes and our hearts open and uh, never go to church alone. There is a kid who needs to go who one day may be uh, running for the second highest office in the land. All right, when we come back, Bruce Ashford is going to be here. Uh, he is uh, a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He blogs at BruceAshford.net, and frankly, he's just a real fun conversation partner at the intersection of religion and politics. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. to be joined again today by Bruce Ashford. You know him from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is one of the favorites, according to our survey here of our listeners. So Bruce Ashford, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, great to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So um, you you are always sending us really good material in the form of things that you post on your website at bruceashford.net and, um, and books that you've published. Right now, you've got an ebook that I just find really, um, really helpful for the season in which we uh, find ourselves, How to Survive an Election Season, 10 Tips for American Christians. Um, why don't we just share with the audience, what are a few of your tips on how okay. to survive this election season? All right, well, I'll start. Tip number one is a really important one, and it is, and by the way, I'll just say this book is only 40 pages long. You get it at LifeWay.com, 40 pages long. Each chapter is, you know, two, three, four pages at the most, and so very accessible. And our first tip, very important one, is that remember that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and a favorite political party is not. Jesus is Lord and a favorite political leader is not. And our integrity as Christians, and I think our political influence depends upon our integrity and that we are constantly making clear that our allegiance to Christ transcends a given party or leader, which means that we are willing to critique that party or leader uh, when the time is right. And when we do that, that means that evangelical Christians, it'll be a lot less easy for the seculars out there and the haters to dismiss us as the you know hypocritical and s- bigoted special interest arm of such and such political party. And so we got to find ways to do that. That's my first tip. Can I ask about a question that, or a, a term that you used in there that I think is just really helpful for us to focus on for a minute? Yep. That's the term allegiance. You know, I think that yeah. when we're kids, we know what pledging allegiance is because we have to do it to the flag every day in school. Um, but when we talk mm-hmm. about an allegiance to Christ, when we talk about an allegiance 
to Jesus above Caesar or above any political party or above any um, political figure of the day. Um, talk with me about how how complete and comprehensive God intends for that to be. That's a great point, because our, our allegiance to, to God through Christ is different from our allegiance to any other thing, and it is a wholehearted embrace of Him that He is seated on the throne of our hearts. And when the Bible talks about the heart, uh, the heart in the Bible is the, the central organizer of the human person. Uh, it's the, the our thoughts and our feelings flow from the heart. And whatever is on the throne of the heart will dictate and organize the rest of our life. Mm. Um, and so if Jesus is not on the throne, it could be a favorite political leader or uh, cultural cause, or it could be sex or money or power, or it could be any other thing. And we just want to constantly do heart checks to make sure that our ultimate love, trust, and obedience is to Christ. And in the political realm, that means that very often we're going to have to dissent from even a preferred political leader or a preferred political party, because there's no party in the world ever in the history of the world whose goals are exactly the same as Jesus's. Right. Yeah. Jesus is never actually running for president. Yeah, no question about that. <laughs> okay, Bruce Ashford, tip number two. I wish we had some sort of like little game show countdown. Tip number two for how to survive an election season. Yeah, understand the proper relationship between religion and politics. Mm. You got some people that think that religion and politics should never be mixed. And my answer to that, and I'll explain it in a minute, is it's not even possible not to mix them. They come mixed. Uh, and then you've got other people who love to mix them, but they mix them in bad ways. So let's talk about the first. Uh, you just have to make the point that if religion is seated in the heart, right, like we just talked about, and whatever it is that we love, we love in a heartfelt manner and it radiates outward into everything we do, then it's going to radiate outward into our politics. And it's just dishonest to pretend that it won't be. And so religion and politics, our religion is going to affect our politics. And if it's not our Christianity affecting our politics, then we've got some false religion in our heart. It's something else that's affecting. Um and the second problem is that you have other people who love to mix religion and politics, and they do it in really bad ways. And one of the bad ways is by speaking the words of Jesus and having the attitude of Satan, you know, mm. of, of, of being lacking any kind of grace or mercy, treating other people in an inhumane manner. And so that, that I think that's a, a good nutshell of chapter uh, two. People are deeply and inescapably religious. Our religion is never pri merely private. It always radiates outward. So let's let it radiate outward into the political realm in good ways rather than bad ways. Yeah, and I think that when I think about how I exercise the full freedom of my right to religion or religious expression, I mean, when I, when I think about exercising the full freedom of my faith, I am thinking about that in every area of life, certainly inclusive of politics. Like, I am not thinking that that is supposed to be put over here in a box or on a day and in a particular place and, you know, with a particular group of people. I'm thinking everywhere at all times, every square inch. Yeah. Why would we rule out the political realm? Why exactly. would we let our Christianity into some other realm but not politics? It makes no sense. All right. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to pick up on our list of 10 tips that you and I need as American Christians to survive an election season. It's a very brief book. It's an e-book, How to Survive an Election Season, 10 Tips for American Christians. It's available at LifeWay.com. Bruce Ashford is the author, and he and I will be right back. We need a strong God. Yeah. 
We need the real God, the God with the resurrection power from the grave. Continuing my conversation now with Bruce Ashford, we're talking about uh, his ebook. How to Survive an Election Season, 10 Tips for American Christians. All right, Bruce, we've covered a couple of the tips. Um, why don't you give us another one? And it doesn't really matter to us if you give, the, give us them in order. You know, of the, okay. of, the eight, of the eight we have left, what's one that you think, well, we, I want to make sure I cover that one? Let me mention one in 30 seconds, and then we'll move on. One of them is understand the good of politics. And the point I want to make there is that the political realm is no more corrupted than any other realm. Every realm is corrupted by sin. And so the political realm is not inherently bad. We do see its badness more easily because of TV and because of how much power is in that realm. But it's a, a realm that God designed, and we ought to operate in it. So that's, a, that's a, a, another tip. A fourth one is really important, go to church. You might think, well, what in the world does that have to do with politics? <laughs> well, the church uh, exists in two forms, I want to mention for a moment. The one is the church exists as an institution. You know, usually has a, a building that it meets in. It meets once a week on Sundays. And as an institution, the church centers its worship around the preached word and the Lord's Supper and songs of worship and so forth. And the point of all of that is to declare that Jesus is Lord and nobody else is, including Caesar, mm -hmm. including the president of the U.S., including Congress. And what it does is it centers our political identity that the number one kingdom we're a member of is God's kingdom. And the Bible says that we are ambassadors for him. It's as if we are officially appointed governmental representatives of Christ the King. And we want that to be our first allegiance. And then uh, allegiance to a nation is on down the line. Uh, and then our church also exists as an organism, not just an institution. And what I mean is the Bible gives a picture of the church as the body of Christ, and what that means is that we are connected to one another and to Christ at the head. And it means that when we leave church on Sunday and go throughout our everyday lives on Monday through Saturday, when we have coffee shop conversations about gender and sexuality, when we uh, share the gospel with somebody, and uh, when we have a discussion or a debate about immigration, we represent Christ and we actually represent our church. And so uh, the, the church is influential not just when it meets, but also when it scatters scatters out into the rest of the uh, of the community. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do one more, and then I want to hit one of your recent articles um, that you've got posted at bruceashford.net. Okay. Uh, tip number six is love your neighbor, and that's going to be especially hard if your neighbor is a member of another political party, because <laughs> the way things are polarized right now, and the way the media uh, takes the worst examples of somebody on the left or the right. Uh, takes all of the worst examples that have been committed in recent years, puts all of those worst characteristics together into a profile, and then pretends that everybody on the other side of the aisle uh, is, uh, you know, has that profile. And so things are very polarized, but we want to be characterized by both truth and grace the way Jesus was. Uh, by truth, I mean we want to speak the truth about reality, about morality, about what's right and wrong in this world. And by grace, it means we have to have a gracious disposition that yet, if it weren't for Christ, we would be condemned. We're not better than or superior to the people that we're arguing with or discussing and debating with. And they should not be demeaned and degraded and treated as something less than people created in the full image of God, who we would like to see uh, come to know Christ. So I had this love your neighbor conversation recently with a friend who um, I mean, she was pretty upside down and inside out when uh, a neighbor had yard signs um, that 
she did not find, like, you know, appropriate. They're not the kinds of signs that she thinks, right, it's the wrong party, it's the wrong candidate, it's the wrong ideology, it's the wrong advocacy, wrong, 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 wrong. And so I said, well, okay, I don't like your yard art either. And she's like, I'm not talking about yard art. I'm talking about yard signs. I'm like, okay, that's that person's yard art right now. Your yard art is terrible. She's like, what? Like, those gnomes and, like, creatures and other things you have, like, sticking out, they're terrible, and they're there all the time. So anyway, I do think there's a way to have a conversation um, with our friends about our neighbors that sometimes can help them see um, the air of their own ways. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And to add to it, um, there's not a lot that we can do on the national political level, ordinary people like us. Uh, even though I was a, a columnist for Fox News, Daily Signal, Daily Caller for a while, I had very little influence. Uh, it's e- easier to have influence at the state level, but it's the easiest to have influence at the level of the community mm-hmm. where uh, there's a really good chance of brokering real relationships across political aisles and working together. And uh, even when we disagree and disagree big time and have to say tough things to each other, we can still the kind of people we can have a meal with and can invite to our church. I love that. All right, now let's pivot. We've been talking about um, this great ebook that Bruce has available right now at lifeway.com called How to Survive an Election Season, 10 Tips for American Christians. But Bruce, you've got a lot of great stuff posted at your website as well. So bruceashford.net. This piece that you posted just prior to the 4th of July caught my attention um, because, well, it's entitled Proud to be an American. And I think you're talking here about the right kind of pride. So let's talk about that. Should American Christians be proud? Yeah, it's a good question, you know. And so so as with most things, you've got a couple of extremes you want to avoid. Um, on the left and sometimes on the right with Wall Street people, you have this sort of denigration of the nation, that what's more important is the global community. And that goes way back. I mean, you've got a, guy, a French philosopher named Auguste Comte who tried to found an atheistic religion uh, because he thought that people are not evil, that evil comes from corrupted institutions, and the institutions that are most corrupt are uh, national governments and religious institutions. And so in his, he wanted to weaken religion and weaken the nation state. And But you've got lots of people who are more concerned about the so, quote-unquote global community and want to treat the nation as something that is bad or inferior or secondary. Then you have other people who blow up the nation into gigantic proportions as if our heart's greatest loyalties and allegiances should be wrapped around our nation and, and that any criticism of of uh, historical flaws or sins or current flaws or sins should be downplayed. And so I want to come in between that and say, so number one, the nation is important. You look in the Bible and you can tell that God wants there to be something in between the local level and the global level that Um, where there's a government that wields the sword, protects us internally, protects us from external attacks, kind of shapes who we are, gives us a way of life, uh, you know, or helps to to put guardrails around our our, uh, way of life. And so we do want to value the nation. But on the other hand, we also want to be able to uh, lovingly critique uh, the flaws that are exhibited in our nation, our nation's history and our nation's current, you know, contemporary uh, climate, and that's really important to a Christian's integrity to be able to do that and to strike that balance. All right, so you guys can um, you can find that at bruceashford.net. Uh, proud to be an American. It'll actually link you through to a Lifeway Voices page. 
Um, you can find the How to Survive an Election Season, 10 Tips for American Christians, at LifeWay.com. Um, Bruce, we've got, um, we've got like a minute left. Um, how about okay. a, word of en- a word of encouragement to um, people who are thinking about not voting at all? Yeah, so I would say normally in a democratic republic, you want to cast a vote, and you want to cast a vote uh, for the person who you think is best, and uh, usually that's a person who also has a chance of winning. Um, Sometimes you can cast a vote for a person who has no chance of winning, and that's an act of integrity, a person running for a smaller party. I don't think winning is the only or exclusive reason to vote, so you could cast a a third-party vote if you wanted to. Um, I think votes are statements. A lot of working class people stayed home and didn't vote for years because they thought that our government's leaders didn't care about them, and they're probably right. And Christians can choose to not vote if they want to, if neither of the options offered to them they think is one that they want to really get behind. But normally, you want to vote for the candidate that you think is right and that you think has a reasonable chance of winning. And I think it's an important part of our citizenship, but definitely not the only part. I think it's really helpful, and I think that we're all weighing uh, you know, these, this is a very challenging season and we're all weighing it out. So thank you so much for helping us do that. That is Bruce Ashford. You can find him at bruceashford.net. You can find him at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where there's some really great stuff going on that I've been reading about of late. And you can find his ebook, How to Survive an Election Season, 10 Tips for American Christians at LifeWay.com. Bruce, as always, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. It's been great. We'll be right back. We're going to catch up with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about uh, what she knows in terms of our ministry partners in Lebanon. We're also going to check in on things in Nigeria, where Boko Haram has now killed more people than the Islamic State. And because most of us have not been paying attention to it, we're going to uh, get a, a window into what's happening in Mali. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. That's a comforting promise for parents, but I know some moms and dads who want he will not turn from it part to happen immediately. Now's a really good time to work on your patience. When your child walks away from the values and beliefs you've instilled, it's painful. Journeys don't happen overnight, and God's leading your child on a path that may take the long way around. I hope you'll continue to hold to that promise, even when times are tough. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're going to talk about today at mnnonline.org. Uh, Ruth, you and I have uh, have a number of head- headlines to cover from around the world. Let's um, let's start in Lebanon. Um, you know, the blast, the aftermath, people in mourning, protests, the government basically stepping down, people now rebuilding without government help, relying on the kindness of strangers. Um, and relying on ministries. Uh, and so talk with us, you know, kind of wide ranging about this topic. I know you guys have six or seven or more articles posted 
um, at Mission Network News. That's partly because we have six or seven or more partners in Lebanon. So right as this was happening, they were sending us pictures and text messages and just, uh, you know, letting us know the state of the situation because this blast was enormous. I mean, I know a lot of people by now know how how strong this thing was, um, but it's, it is very much like a bomb hit the city. Um, just to put it in perspective, you know, we're familiar with something like the Oklahoma City bomber, and he used 2.3 metric tons of ammonium nitrate to destroy the building. Uh, by scale, uh, what blew up in Beirut out of a warehouse was 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate. And so that basically put a crater where the port was and blew out, you know, pretty much any building in the near radius and then shattered windows and caused uh, all kinds of structural damage uh, the further out you went. And and this blast was actually felt as far away as Cyprus. Uh, so at least that's, that's according to one of the articles that we were looking at. Um, but a lot of people were saying that the, the significance of the damage was like a a ghastly punctuation mark on the situation that has been facing the Lebanon uh, Lebanese government uh, for the last number of years. So you got to consider that since October, um, people have been angry and upset and protesting the the government corruption that is systemic to the system that exists in Lebanon and demanding change. And we thought maybe that might have occurred uh, in January when there was a new prime minister and he eventually got confirmed and then he put up a new government. So that government is less than six months old. And, you know, you have things that are that are happening all along uh, with this uh, upheaval, this political upheaval um, with the inflation rate, the uh, unemployment rate. Uh, and then COVID-19 happens. And, you know, you've got people who are um, unable to afford um a little more than basic food, so a little more than bread and maybe some milk. Meat is expensive. Vegetables and fruit uh, is becoming expensive. And then this happens and sets the uh, the the country's grain supply on fire. Um, you know, and 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 the port is where they import a lot of their food from. So now what's going to happen? And uh, when you find out that it wasn't a terrorist attack, but uh, the lack of government oversight on a warehouse that was unsafely housing ammonium nitrate. It was just another situation where you, you to, to, to use probably a very much overused uh, um, word picture, um, match to, to Tinder. Um, mm. And that's what we saw over the weekend with the riots. It, we're not talking protests, we're talking riots of young people who stormed ministry buildings in Beirut. They basically were saying, get rid of everybody, get them out, they're not going they're they're incapable of doing the job that we have elected them to do. And then um, I think Monday, late Monday, uh, the government responded and the prime minister and his six month old government all resigned. So we think by looking at the headlines, oh, OK, well, they responded. The problem is the president is still in play and he has asked the prime minister and the uh, sitting parliament to remain in place as caretakers until they can fix the, you know, like have another election or fix the problem or what have you. So the issue is that even though it was a, a resignation, it was really just symbolic and uh, nothing has changed. And that has, you know, served to put more energy 
behind the um, fury now that is being expressed over government incompetence because you know this leads back to the, all, everything that was connected to the the explosion which now exacerbates already difficult problems so you have everything coming into play so yeah. our ministries partners are saying we're getting out there hands on the ground boots on the ground we're helping people clean up and we're doing what we can to meet needs, you know, giving blankets. They were already thinking that they were kind of on the tail end of the refugee crisis. So things, those supply lines were starting to be closed down because people were moving back into Syria. And then you have this happen and you've got to kind of reboot that that supply line. The fortunate thing is the ministries are already familiar with how to do this because they've been doing this through the refugee crisis. So they are going to be effective and they're more effective than the government. So people are turning to the ministries for help because they have a reputation for being able to do that. They are also people who listen to stories, who mourn with those who are mourning, who are shoulder to shoulder with the Lebanese. And um, it gives them a lot of opportunities to talk about the hope of Christ because people have completely lost faith in their government. And they're looking for some anchor point of hope. Um, and the other thing we're hearing from other ministry partners is that because, you know, you have this this young workforce that is unemployed right now just due to the economic uh, crisis in Lebanon, they don't have anything to do. And so they're putting all their energy into trying to generate some kind of change in Lebanon, which is what you're seeing with all these protests and riots. And then you have people who are coming from as far away as the coastline into Beirut. So that's maybe a four-hour drive just to be labor. What can I do to help rebuild? And what you're finding is that people are going back into their homes now and finding somebody has already cleaned it up, that there are people who are moving through the streets and um, saying, this is my country. I'm going to help fix it. I'm going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And they're just, you know, working shoulder to shoulder with pretty much everybody to do what they can to rebuild Lebanon because they don't believe the government's going to be able to respond quickly. Yeah, there are some great stories um, coming out of uh, of the tragedy. Um, and we thank you for keeping us abreast, not only of the news, but also those good news stories that emerge. Again, uh, I'm talking with Ruth Kramer. You can find what we're talking about at mnnonline.org. Um, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to pivot to a conversation about Nigeria. The headline is Boko Haram has killed more people than the Islamic State. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We are surveying headlines at mnnonline.org, and we turn now to two headlines related to Nigeria. Uh, the first is Boko Haram has killed more people than the Islamic State. Um, it, it's a it's a gruesome tale of what's happening in Nigeria, but we dare not turn away from it. Yeah, um, this came to us uh, just a, a, as a way of uh, an alert from the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project. Uh, it's a Washington-based nonprofit organization, and I think their findings were surprising to me. Uh, which is why we we followed up with Voice of the Martyrs USA to ask, you know, is this accurate information? Um, because Boko Haram, we thought, had been um, mostly kept to the northeastern part of Nigeria. Um, and and while it is horrible what they're doing, 
the the numbers say that uh, in northeast Nigeria, um, there the impact of Boko Haram in terms of the number of people they've killed is more is higher than the Islamic State killed in Iraq and Syria combined. Um, and that's just that's it, it just it's hard to wrap your head around that because so many of those that they've killed um, have been followers of Christ. Um, Boko Haram, you know, that's Hausa, and it means Western education is sin. So it, that's a loose translation. Um, but it's it's a situation where these extremists are jihadists, and they want to remove any influence of anything else that is outside that um, extremist Islamic ideology mindset. Um, and so they are going to focus on things like schools and law enforcement and churches and any other faith group that isn't theirs. Uh, so you can see that this has been a situation that has been uh, a difficult one for the government in, of Nigeria to deal with and has been since this came to a head probably in 2009. And they've been a problem since 2009. And then when you, you add in like the Fulani herdsmen, the idea that they're just uh, dealing with uh, fighting over resources, maybe that's how they started, but that's not what they've become. And in fact, as we've seen other reports that indicate the Islamic State of West Africa province uh, has been seriously trying to um, implement a, an expansion across north central and northwestern Nigeria, Fulani herdsmen have sort of thrown their hat in the same ring. So... Um, for a while, it looked like you had Fulani herdsmen on one side and you had Boko Haram on the other and the Christians were caught in the middle. And now it's sort of like they've – the enemies have joined forces and they're just surrounded on all sides by people who want to uh, exterminate or eradicate the influence of, of Christ in Nigeria. You know, when we think about um, real persecution and we think about um... – the way to encourage those who are experiencing persecution is such a challenge um, for those of us who do not live d with these, not just day to day, but moment by moment, very real fears of uh, of having our our lives, uh, our property, our children, our parents um, taken from us. Uh, talk with us about the ministries that are providing this crucial encouragement to the people of Nigeria? Well, like I said, VOM USA has partners that work with the, the body of Christ on the ground. So they will provide things like um, assistance for widows and maybe mm -hmm. some kinds mm -hmm. of vocational training on the other end. Then we have ministries like Mission Cry, which uh, repurposes unused Christian books, resources, and Bibles and sends them to partners overseas that can use the English versions of things. And those partners will distribute the contents of the containers to, you know, those that they're ministering to or churches or put them in libraries. Um, right now, the executive director says uh, that it's really apparent what's going on in Nigeria. I mean, this is, he's just calling it what it is. It's spiritual warfare. And, and Satan is overactive in Nigeria right now. Um, but part of the problem is that because this situation seems to go unchecked, a lot of the Christians feel very forgotten. They feel very isolated. And um, especially with things like, uh, con con connected to the pandemic, they just feel cut off and they they feel like they have to deal with this on their own and they're under equipped to deal with something like an insurgency uh, on their own. You have a lot of churches putting in security 
Um, but that's just not the same thing. I mean, we, you, you can have guards, you can have metal detectors, and still churches are being attacked. So when you decide you're going to take your kids to, to church on Sunday morning, you are making a totally different decision in Nigeria, and especially the northern part of Nigeria, than we might be, you know, in that, and then we are making in the United States. When you go to church in Nigeria, you could be you're making a life or death decision on those Sunday mornings because every church is a target. Um, and so, you know, what we're encouraged to encouraging people to do is if you have unused books, uh, resources, VBS material, Sunday school stuff, Bibles, send them to Mission Cry and let them know that you're purposing it for something like this Nigerian thing. Um, and, and then they're sending a container actually this week um, to that same partner. They've sent two uh, in the last year to encourage this partner because he keeps asking for, for resources. Um, and then uh, consider the possibility of sponsoring a, a container like this because it's not cheap to send this kind of stuff. It's like $15,000 right. to send these. And so they're raising money to do that. They've sent two prior ones because the need is there. And so yep. they raise money and they send it on faith and then the money comes in. Yep. That's all we're saying. And then pray. Absolutely. Absolutely. Materials, material support and prayer. Absolutely. Um, Ruth, um, when we talk about security, I know that you are right now in the uh, in the throes of dealing with a mission partner um, who works in India, um, who they have just experienced the loss of a missionary there. Um, this happens more frequently than uh, than the media would like to report. Um, talk with us about how ministries respond when missionaries on the field are killed. In this case, our partner, this is, the I think, the first time they've experienced someone with a personal relationship uh, to the ministry being murdered uh, for the cause of Christ. And the staff is really rattled. They are very unsure of what the next step is because they don't want to overexpose people um, for any reason whatsoever. And, and, it's, and so much of this stuff is connected to the internet and people's activities on the internet and stories that are uh, being uh, covered about the issues. We cover the stories about these issues, not to expose people, but to put them out there so that the body of Christ is aware of what is happening in other places and they know how to pray. They, they can pray knowledgeably into a situation. We don't use names specifically. We don't use villages specifically at all. Um, but sometimes stories that, that we put out there about how difficult and dangerous the situation is or how much it's changing uh, can be a situation that uh, we have to change our security protocols so that we don't endanger people. Um, and in this case, our partner, we're having to kind of revamp how we're going to be covering uh, those kinds of stories because she feels it's important to draw attention to the situation there, but also not overexpose people, but give you enough to know how to pray. <laughs> you know, right. it's a very difficult uh, line to walk because we just don't want to do anything that uh, is disruptive to ministry or disruptive, uh, dangerous to people's lives, and yet those 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 partners on the ground. They're just boldly going forward. When we say boldly go where no one has gone before, that's what they're doing. Um, and, and they do it knowing what the risk is. They do it asking for more resources, knowing that they're walking into villages where they've been threatened before. The persecution in India is so frequent and so severe that it just doesn't get covered. It, there's like multiple incidents every single day where people are severely beaten. And, and there are people who are killed 
very frequently. I'm not going to say every single day, but based on what we're being told from all of our other partners that are working in India, this could be a situation where it's so, so volatile that it loses its impact it, on yeah, us. Yeah, it's hard. It, people have like a like a fatigue uh, if, of so much um, horrible information. Yeah, no, I completely get it. Um, Ruth, but you and I have to leave. Do is continue to pray. No, no, no question about it. Absolutely, and support the ministries who are active in these in these places. Um, who you know, whom God has called, and whom we as brothers and sisters in Christ are obligated then to uh, to prayerfully and financially support. So materially support. So thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for bringing us the stories, even the ones that are really, really hard to hear. Ruth, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for asking. Absolutely. Let's be praying. Let's be uh, using the fodder at mnnonline.org uh, to uh, to fill our prayers today um, for those who are on the front lines of ministry and for those uh, the families of those who have lost their lives on the front line of ministry in these days. We'll be right back. All right, so back to the question of a running mate. Let me just uh, encourage you to consider that as Christians, we are all in a race together. I want you to consider your running mates. Use Hebrews 12.1. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Galatians 5.7. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Isaiah 40.31. Uh, Let us remember that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.